This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hamish White is the founder and CEO of Mobilize, a telecoms entrepreneur with 20 years experience supporting tier one and tier two international telecommunications operators. He has a track record of successfully launching and growing startup telecommunications related operations. His experience also includes the launch of eight mobile virtual network operators, MVNOs, in five different markets. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Hamish White, welcome to ClientSide. Hi, Nathan. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Let's get into your background because it's really fascinating. Your background is in engineering, and since leaving Australia, you've got a lot of international experience working in Southeast Asia, France, the Middle East, Netherlands. How did those experiences lead you to setting up Mobilize in 2011? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I think by nature, Australians have a bit of a, a desire to want to explore the world and stuff. But telecom is a really international business model as well. So you can kind of transport your knowledge to pretty much any market. And um, yeah, I gained some amazing experiences kind of jumping around different countries, setting up telecoms companies. And um, I think one thing that I noticed when I was you know, in these different countries is that there was a bit of a gap in the market for a telecoms consultancy that was providing consultancy services to to this specific you know niche of, of business model the M, the MBNOs so I felt there was an opportunity there but then at the same time I was also pretty keen to do something of myself I'd spent many many years kind of setting up companies for other people and it just was timely it was the right time for me to, to look at something and um, yeah I think working in different markets you know the diversity of markets that I've worked in it gives you yeah, an extra rounding in terms of every every new market, every new culture gives you a little bit of a different perspective into how people do business. And I think that's, you know, super helpful um, just day-to-day, you know, managing business operations and dealing with different clients and looking at different commercial scenarios and stuff. So, mm, Really interesting. So we'll come back and talk about Mobilize in a moment, but let's talk about the telecoms industry before we do that because as you look at the industry today and how it's evolved over the last sort of 20 years or so since you've been in it what in your mind have been the most significant either milestones or markers in technology innovation regulation I don't, I don't want to put any ideas in, into your mind but mm. what what have been the most significant milestones that have led us to kind of where we are today would you say yeah I mean I think um I think if I go all the way back, I mean, I, I started in telecoms in 1999, so that's going back a little way now, um, showing my age a bit. But I think one of the biggest shifts was when we went from kind of 2G, second generation mobile to third generation, so 2G to 3G. There was a heap of hype uh, around what 3G could offer to consumers, um, and that's the same with every generation. But what you end up with um, is, is often a subset of, of, of what the hype suggests. But um, that was really quite transformational in terms of what you could do with a smartphone, um, you know, enabling the internet um, in a different way and, and all the value-added services that came with that. So I'd suggest that was probably in my in my career one of the big moments. And then obviously you can't go past the iPhone. When the iPhone came out in 2007, 2008, it was just a completely different model from a handset perspective. And, uh, you know, and then a couple of years afterwards, I think it was the App Store that, that came on top of that. So that, again, just added another whole layer of kind of capability and, and value opportunity into the mobile industry, you know, which wasn't there before. So, mm. 
I'd suggest that they're probably two of the biggest shifts, but I personally think that we're not even where the full potential of the mobile technologies can be taken. You know, I think a few things are starting to come out now, particularly around things like eSIM capability, you know, which basically removes the need for a SIM card. Technologies like that are really going to start to open up, you know, connectivity, I guess I'd call it, um, into to different verticals and use cases that we don't see today. Really interesting. Okay, so let's expand on that in a, in a bit more detail then. So if you were to look in your crystal ball the next five years, it's impossible if 2020 has taught us anything about the future. None of us know what's happening around the corner. But mm-hmm. if you were to look into your crystal ball in the next five years, as to you know what are the most significant changes that will take place in the telecoms industry? I mean, a lot of people have been talking about 5G and the significant sort of increases in innovation that will come off the back of that. I'm not sure whether that's hype or whether that's actual, uh, or, or whether people inside the industry like yourselves are, are as excited about it as, as other people outside. Talk about some of the most significant innovations you see happening in the telecoms industry over the next sort of three to five years. Yeah, that's a really good question. That's that you know that's the sixty-four million dollar question that everyone like me is trying to answer so that we can we can ride the wave. Yeah, where should but, I invest? Um, yeah, exactly. But. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of really, really key things that I think are are going to be quite transformational in, in the industry. So I think that there's a big shift happening towards digital. Um, so we, we hear a lot about kind of digital transformation across different industries. And, you know, you've seen that a lot with the likes of, you know, the banking industry or content streaming industry like Netflix. Um, and there's been a lot of innovation kind of moving away from physical you know, bricks and mortar type service to customers and into an all online type, you know, digital service offering where basically a customer doesn't have to do anything in the physical world. They can do it all via, um, by the physical world, I mean, you know, a shop or speak to a customer care agent or whatever. Sure. Um, they can um, they can do everything via a mobile application or, or, or on sure. online. And there's been big shifts happening in, in other industries uh, around that digital transformation, uh, like banking, as I suggested. Uh, but that hasn't really happened in telecoms yet. Um, it has to some degree, but not to the level that we've seen in other industries and certainly not to the potential of what could be done. Mm-hmm. So I see what's what's going to happen in, from that perspective is that we're starting to see um, some sub-brands. So that's where an operator launches a second brand that what we might call is digital first. Um, so they don't, that, you know, they look to do something different that doesn't cannibalize their existing customer base, but they're targeting a new type of customer, um, which invariably tends to be more youth orientated customer. So um, you might be looking at, you know, between 15 and, and 35, mm-hmm. 30, or well, 35 is not youth, but, you know, up, up to that kind of age range, um, where who are much more familiar with using digital technologies. Mm-hmm. But what that digital transformation does is it totally turns the telecoms model on its head. Um, at the moment, you know, telecoms companies have massive cost to deliver physical infrastructure to their customers. So for stores, um, physical distribution um, of devices and SIM cards, call centers, all that kind of stuff. So if you remove that cost, then it really makes for a different operating model and a different cost model. Sure. So. I think that's going to be quite transformational and um, and, and I think that's starting to happen, but and there's a big opportunity there. The other is definitely 5G. Um, I, again, like I mentioned at the outset when we were talking about transition from 2G to 3G being transformational in the industry, 
5G has got a lot of hype around it, probably more hype than I've ever seen with any other generation shift mm. to the point where at some points I've been, I've been saying to myself, this is a bit reckless, um, the way that some of these more driven out of the te telecoms vendors that are selling that kit, they talk about some of the use cases that are possible, um, you know, like autonomous driving and, and, you know, remote surgery and all that kind of stuff. The technology is just not, not fit for that. It doesn't, it doesn't suit those types of use cases. Um, but it does add another layer of speed of connectivity and also the technology model that's used to deliver 5G is very, very different to the traditional model um, and that opens up much more agile, nimble ways of managing that technology. Hmm. So so 5G, just so we're clear, is not responsible for coronavirus and, and the pandemic. That's, that's, that's one thing that most people have put it down to. Do you know... Exactly. It's conspiracy theories. You know, I got a 5G phone the other day. I was due for an upgrade with EE and I got a 5G phone and I was telling my wife, wow, look, I've got this 5G phone. It's great. And she says, is it going to give you coronavirus? I was like, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, but I'm quite certain it's not responsible. <laughs> that's not the way it spreads. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so, so that's a nice segue then to talking about mobilize um you know considering that you talked about the big telecoms operators being able to launch other offerings to uh, subsets of their customer base in order to not cannibalize their existing sort of install base so talk a little bit about who are mobilize what problems do you solve for your clients and why does mobilize exist yeah so um so originally I started the business, um, as I mentioned, as a, as a consultancy, and we were helping telecoms companies launch new businesses using mobile technologies. But as the business um, evolved, uh, about from, you know, 2013, 2014, we started another division of the business, which is all around software and technology. And, uh, and that's where the main focus of the business is today. And really, uh, what we do is we help telecoms companies make that transition from the physical world to the digital world. Um, so we have a, a, a software platform called MConnect, and all of the components of MConnect are really designed to help uh, service providers and telecoms companies make that transition. And we have all sorts of bells and whistles that, that sit off the back of that. Hmm. Um, we're really there to help telecoms companies or even companies outside telecoms that are looking to enter into telecoms. We really help them with 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 services um, to to achieve their objective or product platform, um, you know, to enable them um, in a digital way. So, so give us an idea of how the company has grown since you started in 2011 until where we are today. People, locations, revenue, any significant milestones that you want to talk about as well. Yeah, sure. So I started as a one-man band. I had one contract with a with a customer based out in Woking. We were working on a new operator launch, and uh, and then I just you know from you know from year to year started adding you know more customers, um, bringing you know more people in to support those customers, um, and uh, it's just grown uh, ever since. Um, you know we. It, it, probably the first five years was just super difficult. It was just a constant grind, constant, constant grind, um, <laughs> and uh, managing, you know, managing time and 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 figuring out how to balance, um, you know, resources and cost and budget and all that kind mm. of stuff. But um, then we we started the technology side of the business, and um, we were working on, you know, a particular piece of technology for a client, 
who uh, you know felt that that piece of technology to their business was very valuable. Um, so they approached us and said, um, we'd like to invest in Mobilize. Um, we see that you're building up this technology platform, um, but uh, we see that you're bootstrapping it. So how about we give you some funds to accelerate that, and at the same time, um, you know, we'll we'll protect a little bit of our IP. Um, so we we took investment, um, and we've taken three two rounds of investment after that, um, all from the same guys, which is cool. Um, and that really put a little bit of a rocket ship under the business. So we started to grow the team. Um, you know, we we had the flexibility to be able to really go out and, and have the right conversations. So the team is now um, uh, just under 50 people. Uh, we've got offices here in the UK. Um, we have a small office in, in, in Hong Kong, which no one has been to in the last 12 months, which is frustrating. But um, uh, And then uh, we have kind of satellite presences in, in different parts of Latin America and um, south, southern Spain and in North America as well. Yeah. Um, and and from a revenue perspective, um, you know, the first five years or so, it was, it was tough going, but we had... We had good. We always had good percentage increases on our on our revenue base uh, from the previous year. So it was always a good trajectory. Um, last year we did well as well. We didn't obviously didn't do as well as we wanted to because of the coronavirus and stuff. I think everyone is um, is pretty much in the same boat. But we we increased considerably, so double digit increase on our revenues. But over the last three years it's uh, over 130 percent increase in in revenue and and this year will probably double double revenue Easy. if if i can um, incentivize the sales guys to 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 close the deals that they need to but it's <laughs> growing it's growing well yeah keep selling yeah fantastic really good to hear so so you said that you transitioned from a consultancy business to a software business that's a very different, you know, for people that haven't made that switch, they're probably thinking it's relatively easy to do that. But hmm. you need completely different muscles, completely different skill sets, talents, processes, sales processes. What sort of advice would you give to other people that are trying to make that transition? And how did you do it in a way that didn't wasn't too disruptive? How, hmm. Talk us through how you made that change. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so... Yeah, when we went into it, I thought, you know, most of the people in the business at the time had came from a technology background. Um, so I thought this transition shouldn't be too difficult. Like it's going to be hard, but it shouldn't be too difficult um, because the skill set should be the same. But actually, in reality, a software business is, you know, just so different. Um, I'm sure every business is different, you know, from, from one another. But it was a really big learning curve. Um, and we made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, some mistakes took us right to the brink, you know, and I put my hand up for those. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, we, so we, we just, we, we, we grinded it out. Um, you know, we learned the lessons and we iterated, we trusted each other, um, you know, and, and we all, you know, we also supported each other when the decisions weren't the right ones as well. Um, so I think that's, if I'm, if, if I, if I break it down, it's probably the team that has helped us get to where we are and, and the fact that we're a supportive team. There's lots of other things that, that play into that as well. Um, but if I was to give advice to anyone who was considering making that transition, I would say surround yourself with advisors that have done that transition before. Um, you know, find perhaps some folks that you can bring into the business that are from where you're trying to get to. So you know, whether it be product people, whether it be sales people, some people who have already been through that transition are already on the other side. 
and um, I think what we did, um, which I wouldn't change anything because you know we are where we are, but what we did is we we thought we would grind it out with the resources that we had and not try to to upskill in 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 resources of the target we were trying to get to, you know. But yeah, surround. I think surround surround yourself with people that have been through the journey, whether they be advisors, um, you know, whether they be people that that have that experience in product, etc. And I think that'll just accelerate things. Mm. What what was the most surprising or difficult thing to you when making that transition? I think it was just how different it was. Um, I mean, the sales process, um, you know, the, the, the resource requirements, so the people that we needed in the business to be able to kind of deliver on the, the, the skill sets that we needed in the business to deliver on what we were trying to do. Mm. I think the thing that probably surprised me the most, which is very specific to our um, I think is very specific to our situation, but, you know, delivering quality software, I mean, top quality software is really hard, really, really hard. And a lot of people, I think, particularly sometimes when we're customers in particular, when we're having conversations, they're like, oh, but, you know, it's just a mobile application or, you know, it's just a, it's just a platform, it's just a website. But there is a massive delta between what a developer um, on his own can, can deliver you versus what is a first-rate customer experience and user experience that can compete with the best guys out there, you know what sure. I mean? Um, and uh, we, we went through that journey and we wasted a lot of money, we wasted a lot of time, a lot of effort to learn those lessons, you know? There's a whole, there's a whole methodology and a whole quality process around really getting good quality software design out there and, and that works, um, works long-term, you know? That was probably a pretty... That was a big lesson for us. Mm, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about your your customers. Give us an idea as to who the typical customer for Mobilize is. What what typical problems do they have in their business, and and how are you specifically helping to solve them with the software product? Yeah, so we um, so we deal primarily with with telecoms companies, um, mobile operators, or fixed line operators, or ISPs. Definitely, mobile operators is kind of where we we, we have a bit of a um, a speciality because that's a lot of our background. But we, a subset of that is also um, there's a size of operator that is usually suitable for us to go after, and that would be kind of um, tier two operators. Um, and you know, to give you an example, uh, like someone like Vodafone or EE would be a tier one, um, and someone like um, maybe a Tesco Mobile or a GiftGaff right. or they might be a tier two, okay. um, and they're the types of customers that we go after. And they are for a few different reasons. In that they're of a size that we can we can manage, right. like as the size of our business versus the size of the business of Vodafone, for example. We just get eaten up in their sales cycle. We'd get eaten up in their you know delivery cycle, and they're just they're almost too big. Um, um, but then also these other guys, they're, usually their strategy to procure technology is more of a buy and not build strategy. So they'll look to partner with a vendor that can provide them the capability that they need mm. um, as opposed to building themselves, which is what some of the bigger guys do. Um, plus they're a bit, you know, a bit more the, the cultural fit of the business and the size of the business is a better fit. So it's easy for us to manage those projects. So that's the kind of customers that we, we go after and we have now. But, uh, you know, we, one day we will be going after the tier, tier one guys. There's no doubt about it. It's just a question of, you know, where do we put our finite resources to the best use, you know? 
um, and that's that target target customer mm -hmm. segment. And the other part of the question about what problems do we solve or what value do we offer? So um, one of the things that I guess you could you could say our platform um, it, it provides some very traditional support to telecoms companies like our platform helps telecoms companies run their back office systems basically um, in, in, in one sense. Um, plus it also helps to manage customers on the, on the mobile application and the, and the web store side of things. But what we've developed within our, within our platform is also this almost like an ecosystem of, of value added services. Um, and so what we're able to do is provide this basic capability that they need. Um, we like to say we do that well. But then we've also got this opportunity to present them with additional revenue opportunities. And what that ties into in the overall kind of you know macro trends in the industry is that it is becoming harder and harder to um, maintain profit margins in the telecoms industry. You know it's it's competitive, particularly in mature markets. Margins are getting squeezed on a regular basis. You know data consumption is going through the roof, but average revenue per month is going down. Um, so operators are finding are looking for ways to 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 increase their revenue per customer. So our platform helps in in that way. We can add additional capability, revenue capability to to what they have today. Give us an example. Um, so one of our customers, um, we have delivered our platform to them, and it gives uh, them the opportunity to sell a global Wi-Fi product. Um, so one of the uh, one of the value-added services that we have in integrated into our MConnect platform is a global Wi-Fi service and gives customers um, access to a, a massive you know, 60 million hotspots around the world. Um, and basically for this operator in Germany, um, what they were able to do was add this Wi-Fi service via our technology into their existing technology platform and start selling that as an add-on to their existing tariff plans. So uh, they do it in yeah they do it in two ways they do it one as a bundled service so um, customer pays you know a maximum ARPU um, tariff plan they get this service for for, for free included right. so you're driving customers up the the, the value chain um, or the other ways they sell it as a standalone mm. and the customer just pays for it on a monthly basis. Mm. Really yeah. interesting. So as as you think about the the next chapter in the business's sort of history or evolution, what do you think are the kind of the most what do you think is the most effective next chapter in the business? What that what might that look like to you? Um, so I think that um, I mean we've we've just recently launched a new product, which I think is going to be really transformational. We've been spent we've spent about twelve months working on that. Um, it's called uh, eSIM, and it, I, I mentioned at the outset of the call, but it, it removes the need for a SIM card. And I think. I think where I see Mobilize being positioned is an enabler of that transformation. So um, we do a lot of stuff today, but this specific piece of technology has got uh, you know massive amounts of um, you know use cases and applications you know, within telecoms, but outside of telecoms as well. And you could you could think of it as um, enabling connectivity into any almost any piece of software, um, whether it be other mobile applications, whether it be PCs, whether it be um, you know, uh, fridges that are smart, whatever it might be. So I, I, I see the next evolution of Mobilize kind of around this piece of technology and kind of being an enabler of, of that new way of connectivity, um, you know, for, 
for uh, for consumers and you know and, and also for um, you know for the Internet of Things. You you mentioned at the top of the show that the telecoms industry has been slower to digitally transform relative to other industries, banking, healthcare. I don't know, you know, go down the list. What do you think are some of the reasons why telecoms has been slower to um, sort of adopt newer forms of digital transformation, to innovate, to change in the way that other industries have? Yeah, I think that if we were talking to someone in the banking industry who has in the same situation as myself in the telecoms industry, they'd go, no, it hasn't been quick it's been long you know we've taken ages to get <laughs> you know to get this it's a question of perspective sure. um but it, but it's mm-hmm. i mean i've thought this myself um quite often why is that you know why is the banking industry where it is and telecoms for no you know obvious reason is further behind but i think there has they started that journey earlier in the banking sector um but i think one of the reasons why the telecoms industry is is still struggling with this because it should be further further ahead um you know and 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 this transformation is accelerating right so you know what might have been an acceptable time frame to do digital transformation um 10 years ago it might have been 3 years to do that transformation but today um you know a an acceptable time frame to to perform digital transformation might be 12 months so a couple of weeks yeah a couple of weeks exactly so <laughs> so the expectation is changing but I think there's some fundamental challenges in the telecoms industry. One, which is outside the operator space, and I think that's around regulation. So there is a lot of regulation in the telecoms industry. Um, there isn't banking as well, but in particular around kind of the amount of money that operators need to pay in order to be able to buy spectrum, to acquire licenses. Um, and that's all government-related regulation. You know, like, so you can't you can't just kind of change sure. that. It, it, it's there and it exists. And the, these the operators pay billions and billions and billions for for the licenses sure. and what that does is it drives behavior, protectionist behavior. Um, you know, so they 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 know what's going to work for them. Voice data, text. They want to drive the value out of that as much as possible before they start taking risks and jeopardize you know the investments that they've made. Mm. So there's regulation that plays into it, but there's also a lot of legacy mindset within the telecoms industry. Um, I mean, kind of. Um, 10 years ago, or, or maybe even 15 years ago, it was quite a stuffy industry. Um, mm. You know, it, it was a- almost a- almost arrogant, I think you could say, if you, you went into a lot of operators and you proposed new ideas and they'd be like, no, that's not right. We, we know what we're doing and, and, and what you're saying is not, is not right. You know, it was just <laughs> quite quite often a, a very kind right. of walled garden approach. Like Traditional, we know what we're doing in legacy, here. old school, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. Um, and and so there's a cultural there's a cultural shift that needs to happen a mindset shift that needs to happen in these operators and that goes down to all sorts of different things like development methodologies to business processes to the resources and skill sets that you need in the business and and that's super difficult to change that stuff particularly you know if you if you're a business that's you know 30 40 50 years old like you know I won't name name names but mm. um, that that takes time to to shift that culture mm. um, the other is legacy technology as well i mean there's some genuine problems about you know the, the, the technology that is you know in some of these operators sure. um, it, it takes you know it's been in place for 10 20 years and they've got live customers and live revenue that is running off those platforms and you know they're worried about making a change and that's one of the reasons why uh, some of the more forward thinking operators that have launched these sub brands that i mentioned before they do it on a completely te- different technology stack. So they implement an entirely new technology stack that sits separate from, from their existing systems. And it's it's kind of siloed and isolated um, uh, because they're just, you know, they're concerned about messing, you know, messing up anything that they've got at the moment. 
Maybe what the telecoms industry needs is is a, a banking scandal, uh, very similar to, to what happened in 2008, because that's really what led to PSD2 and open banking, where the government stepped in and said, right, we need to regulate these banks. And because of that, you know, here's all this customer data that needs to be opened up to other smaller players. And that's where you saw the rise of Starling and Monzo and all this amazing innovation that we've now, this has now become normal, but that became, that came out of this huge financial crisis and almost this, this Mm. meltdown. So maybe the telecoms industry needs something similar. Interesting. No, you're absolutely right. I think absolutely right. Nothing like a scandal to make change, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we're we're fast running out of time here, Mish, but um, I want to ask a couple of my favourite questions, and then and then we'll get out of your way. You've lived and worked in many different countries all over the world. If you could live and work anywhere in the world now, where would it be and why? Oh yeah, um, that's such a loaded question, isn't it? Um, because anyway, I I would say probably yeah, San Diego or Wow, the South of France, but um, okay, that's driven a lot. It's driven a lot by um, personal the weather desires, and probably yeah, with the weather, probably influenced by the fact that I've you know we've all been and me have been locked indoors for the last twelve months. I can just all, all I want at sure. the moment is to sit on a beach, you know. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, yeah, you and me both. What 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 excites you most about your current role and position? Uh, just the diversity of challenges that I face day to day. You know, we, we're doing some, you know, some really cool stuff um, in in the business, and we get present, presented with challenges every day, and it's exciting. You know, I, I'm I'm like I was up at kind of four forty five this morning typing emails, and uh, I like to do that. I want to do that, um, and it's exciting. You know, so I'm I, I, I'm I'm probably overworked by definition, but I wouldn't change anything. You know, I, I love I love the mm. The fast pace kind of i do enjoy the pressure as well at times um, and we're working on cool stuff plus i'm i just love my team like i'm so proud of them everything that they, mm. they you know they do they all work so hard and we've got such a great culture and a great team uh, honestly i think that's probably the thing that i enjoy the most about it is just working with the team and, and achieving things together and watching them grow as individuals as well in the business and our last question hamish if you were approached by a graduate or a young person who wanted some advice to get into the telecoms industry, what advice would, would you give him or her? Um, I would say, you know, try to pick uh, a part of telecoms. Um, so, so pick, pick a, you know, pick a vocation within telecoms that, that, that interests you because it's a very, very diverse field. And uh, there are heaps of graduate progr- programs out there for, for, I mean, we've got one ourselves, but for, you know, for a lot of the big companies as well, they've got, um, They've got good good graduate programs. I think, um, I mean, I hope none of the graduates that work in our business hear this, but I would suggest um, if you're a graduate, get into one of the big operators and stay there for a couple of years because, the, you know, the, those are some of your most formative years um, and learning about process, learning about structure, learning about how those big businesses work um, and having that foundation into the rest mm. of your career is, is super valuable, I think. And... Um, you know, it's hard sometimes to find that structure and you know, and that and that uh, and that good governance and and the processes and all that kind of stuff when you when you when you're not in some of those big companies. You know, mm, really interesting, really good advice, Hamish. Thank you very much for being on Client Side. No, Nathan, thank you very much for having me. It was fantastic. I appreciate it. 
If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email zoe at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Zoe Woodward, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.